Several weeks ago, we began a series on seeking to be sought, light, ambassadors in our day-by-day living. We discussed Colossians 4, 5, and 6, which talks about the fact that we're to be wise in the way we act toward outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. We discussed 1 Thessalonians 4, 11, and 12, which tells us to make it our ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, to work with your own hands. We discussed 1 Peter 3, 13 through 17, which exhorts us to be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks us of the reason of the hope that we have. Then last week, we began to discuss what I would call some essential elements of the gospel of Christ. We want to continue that this morning because when we communicate the gospel of Christ, we want to make it clear. And on the lighter side, just to challenge our thinking about making things clear, there's a guy by the name of Sam who was asked to tell the story of the Good Samaritan. Once upon a time, a man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among the thorns. The thorns grew up and choked him, and he went on his way and had no money. And he went to the king, Queen of Sheba, and she gave him 1,000 talents of money and 100 changes of raiment. And he got into his chariot and drove furiously. And when he was driving under a big juniper tree, his hair got caught in the limb of the tree, and he hung there many days. And the ravens brought him food to eat and water to drink. And afterward, he was hungry. And he ate 5,000 loaves and two small fishes. And one night while he was hanging there asleep, his wife Delilah came and cut his hair. And he fell on stony ground. But he got up and went on, and it began to rain, and it rained 40 days and 40 nights. And he hid himself in a cave, and he ate locusts and wild honey. Then he went on till he met a servant who said, Come and take supper in my house. And he began to make excuses, saying, No, I won't. I married a wife, and I can't go. And the servant went out into the highway and in the hedges and compelled him to come in. And after supper, he went out and came to Jericho. And when he got up, or when he looked and saw the Queen Jezebel sitting in a high window, she laughed at him, and he said, Throw her down. And he threw her down, and he said, Throw her down. Again, throw her down 70 times, seven times. And the fragments they picked up was 12 basketfuls. And then they said, now, there's, now, who's resurrect, now in the resurrection, whose wife will he be? As we communicate the gospel, as we strive to live godly, we want to communicate it clearly and effectively. And we had discussed the importance of correctly understanding God and presenting God and who he is. A couple questions. As we think about humans, what do people think? In the correct order. 
Well, we'll go to that one. <clears throat> so we think about sin. What do people in our valley think about sin? If you were discussing sin with someone, what would they say about sin? What do you think? Big sin or small sins? Anyone else? <coughs> Travis? Involve hurting other people. Involve hurting other people? What does your friend, <coughs> co-worker, fellow student, neighbor think about sin? What do you believe concerning sin? So we are relating to unbelievers. They ask us of the reason of the hope that we have within us. We're living a godly life. We're living a quiet life. We're minding our own business. There's an open door of opportunity to talk to someone about the gospel of Christ. Sin is going to be discussed. What is sin? What are some things that we should be concerned about? Sin at its core would involve missing the mark of life, which is a relationship with God. Missing the mark of life, which is a relationship with God. It's because of missing that, there's a falling short of God's standard in belief, in motive, in thought, in word, in action. Let's take our Bibles and go to Titus. Chapter 3, Titus, chapter 3. Paul writing to Titus, giving him instructions for some things that needed to be done in the church in Crete. Titus. Chapter 3, and beginning with verse 3. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Now notice in verse 3, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Describing the Christian believers, but I think also describing us today. In Romans chapter 3, if you would like to turn there. Romans chapter 3, as Paul discusses sin in Romans 1, 2, and 3, he gets to the end of that section and describes the entire human race. 
In Romans 3 and verse 9. Romans 3 and verse 9. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away, they have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. In the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. A description of humans. As we are talking to unbelievers, we want to communicate they're in sin. They're missing the very point of life, which is a relationship with God, a relationship with Jesus Christ. That results in all kinds of actions, thoughts, desires, and so on that are incorrect. There are numerous other words that describe sin. Transgressions, trespass, and so on. Question. What is true if sin is neglected? We're talking to unbelievers and we don't communicate sin. What would be true is there is no need of a Savior. If there is no sin, there's no need of a Savior. There is no standard of right and wrong if there is no sin. What I do is fine, what you do is fine. There's just no standard of right or wrong. There's pluralism. Everyone is right. There's all, way, all kinds of ways to God. You know, Jesus is just another one. There's total confusion. <clears throat> you can't live without some type of standard. Just can't be done. There's confidence in self, one's own ability. I can do, which means there's a belief in a work's salvation. I can work, I can do, and God eventually will accept me. And many times sin is seen in action only. As we're relating the gospel, we want to discuss there's another concept that we want to discuss in the context of the gospel and that is death what do people in our valley think or believe concerning death what do people in our valley think concerning death do they understand the biblical view of death What does your friend, co-worker, fellow student, neighbor think about death? <coughs> what do you believe about death? We're talking to non-believer. 
We mention God. We mention sin. We talk about death. What is death? Just some thoughts in relation to death. A basic meaning involves a separation from. Spiritually, there's a separation from a relationship with God. Romans 3, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. There is a spiritual death. Separation from a relationship with God that began back in Genesis chapter 3. Physical death also comes in the scene where one is separated from this world. Again, it goes back to Genesis chapter 3. Hebrews 9 talks about the fact that's appointed on the man wants to die, and after this, the judgment. Then there's an eternal death or a second death. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 20 and verse 11. Revelation 20 and verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were open. Another book which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that was in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is a second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake. Of fire. I guess you could say this is a final judgment that is taking place. People here are judged. Their name's not found in the book of life. They're thrown into the lake of fire. They're also judged according to the deeds that are written in the book. An eternal or second death. Separation from God for an eternity. We won't turn to it, but in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verses 8 through 10, we find there that Paul is writing to the believers in Thessalonica, and he talks about the fact that some people were persecuting them, and he said, in the future, they will be judged, and they'll be separated from the very presence of God for an eternity. As we're relating to unbelievers, we discuss death. There's a physical death. They're spiritually dead. There's a second death that is coming for those that don't come to faith in Christ. We also would want to touch on the fact that all humans are under the sentence of physical and spiritual death with eternal death coming in the future if there's not faith in Christ. And then there is also divine judgment. 
that's involved in death. You say, why discuss death? Because there are some results if we neglect death. We undermine sin. Every time I go in a hospital to visit someone, I'm reminded of the fact that there's sin. Because dealing with some form of death. You generally don't go to the hospital unless you're in the process of having something wrong with you. If there is no death, we undermine sin because death came as a result of sin. So we were talking to a non-believer and we want to stay away from the subject of death. Well, then stay away from the subject of sin and stay away from the subject of Jesus Christ. Also, if death is neglected, there are no consequences to sin. What did God say to Adam? You know, in the day you eat of the fruit, you'll surely die. There's another result. One tends to live for the present. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, you know, eat, drink, and be merry. You know, tomorrow we die. You know, just live for the present. Also, there's a denial of death. You ever notice how many people don't like to talk about death? They avoid it, nor do they like hospitals. That's human nature because we're in sin, and because we're in sin, we're separated from a relationship with God. But as we're talking to unbelievers, we want to discuss sin, we want to discuss death, because that's involved in the gospel. So we're discussing God, we're discussing sin. We talk about death. We also obviously have to talk about Christ. What do people in our valley think or believe concerning Christ? What do people in our valley think about Christ? Looking for some response. Depends who you talk to. Okay, non believers. I don't think non believers talk about Christ a lot, but they aren't talking about him. They don't talk about him a lot. They mention a name, but not in the way we might. Okay. Good man. What does your friend, co-worker, fellow student, neighbor, think about Christ? See, if you're talking about Christ, and they're thinking, well, he's a good guy, and you're thinking something different, you're going to end up at a much, much different place. What do you believe or think about Christ? As we're sharing the gospel of Christ, I want to mention a few things concerning Christ. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 1. In Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews 
One of his main themes is that Christ is better than. Christ is better than Moses. Christ is better than Aaron. Christ is better than the prophets, the Old Testament sacrifices. And in John 1, in Hebrews 1, Christ is presented as creator. Not limited to those two passages, but two that I will list. Hebrews chapter 1, begin reading with verse 1. In the past... God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Notice in verse 3, the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things. By his powerful word. And at the end of verse 2, through whom he made the universe. If Christ is not creator, then Christ is not savior. If Christ did not create, we don't have sin, we don't have death. And there's no need of a Savior. I think it's very critical. You're talking to someone about Jesus Christ. And they're thinking about a universe that evolved. And you're talking about a Christ who created the universe. Not only did he create the universe, he died. For sin and to deliver from death. You can't separate Christ's creator from Christ, redeemer or savior. Something else concerning Christ, we won't turn to Luke chapter 2, but in Luke chapter 2, we find that Christ was born of a virgin critical to the gospel of Christ. You're discussing the gospel and the person you're speaking to thinking, oh, Christ is a good guy. Born of Mary, Joseph was his father. God was his father. Born of a virgin. Also, concerning Christ, the substitutionary death. Substitutionary death. Hebrews is so very, very strong on Christ dying, providing a sacrifice once for all. We were in Hebrews 1. Go over to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. 
Hebrews chapter 10, and the context is discussing offering, offerings that were made in the Old Testament. Verse 11 of Hebrews 10, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. Because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Verse 12, but when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen as I read from 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 in the context of Christ and what he has done. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Christ became the substitute for us. Because of sin, because we're in Adam, we deserve to be separated from God. We deserve death, eternal death. The payment for sin is life. Christ gave his life. As we share the gospel and we talk about Christ, we're also concerned about the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. The bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Beginning with verse 12. Paul is responding apparently to some issues concerning the resurrection that the Corinthians had. And he says in verse 12 of chapter 15, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ... We're to be pitied more than all men. And then he goes on to discuss Christ's resurrection and the resurrection body. We talk about the gospel of Christ. We talk about Christ to believers. He's creator. He's born of a virgin. He died in our place. And he arose bodily from the dead. If he didn't arise from the dead, then there is no resurrection of the dead. He rose bodily. Also, he's the God-man, fully God and human.
As we think about sharing Christ, what is true if Christ is neglected? There is no way to a relationship with God. And a person remains in their sins. If Christ, as creator, born of a virgin birth, substitutionary death, being raised bodily from the dead, he's the God-man, we remain in our sins. There's no hope. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 9, 19, which we just read. There's no hope. There's no creator. If there is no creator, then we can have evolution or whatever else in how the world could hear. There's no accountability, no standard. And there is pluralism, many ways to God. As we relate to unbelievers, I'm not saying we have to sit down and cover all this, but I think we need to share who is Christ. He's creator. Born of a virgin. Substitutionary death. A bodily resurrection. He's the God-man. Because if a person is believing in the wrong Christ... They remain in their sin. They'll experience eternal death and meet a creator God as a judge rather than as a savior. The reason I pose the question, or questions rather, how do people in our valley think about God? How do they think about sin? How do they think about death? How do they think about Christ? Is seeking to understand where they might be at so that we may communicate according to where they are. And I realize the Spirit of God has to convict. It's a second birth. The Spirit of God has to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment and draw them. But as we share, we want to share a correct gospel. A creator God. Humans who are in sin, who are under the death sentence, but there is a way through Christ to be related to him. Just listen to people, ask questions and you'll come to understand where they are in their thinking. Communicate the gospel as God gives opportunity. Two questions. In light of what we have discussed this morning, are you related to God? Are you repented of sin and trusted in Christ? Has your sin been dealt with? Has Christ become your substitute? Are you a child of God? If not, why not trust him this morning? 
If you are a believer in Christ, do you have a concern for unbelievers in your severe of influence? I was seeking to point them to a relationship with God as you discuss God, as you discuss sin, as you discuss death, as you discuss Christ. And we'll touch on a couple other items next week that I think are very central to the gospel of Christ. Let's pray together. Mm. Father, thank you that we can call you Father. Thank you for the relationship that we have with you. And in light of what we have discussed this morning, it would be our desire in our day-by-day living as we live wisely in relating to unbelievers, as we strive to make it our ambition to live quiet lives, to mind our own business, to work with our own hands, as we have opportunity to give answer to reason of the hope that we have, that we might be able to clearly and accurately communicate the gospel of Christ, and what is involved in the gospel of Christ. Give us open doors of opportunity, Father. We want to be sensitive to your spirit and how he wants to work through us. We would desire that your spirit would use us, but your spirit also would convict unbelievers in our severe influence. And bring them to Christ. We can't do that, Father. It's a work of your spirit. But we do want to be faithful. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of being your ambassadors in a world of unbelievers. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.